Um, I'm not saying they're not leaders, but how about Mary Magdalene was a leader to me. The woman with the issues of blood was a leader to me. I mean, we're preaching them stories. The woman getting ready to get stoned for adultery is a, is a leader to me. It's not just that she's attacked, it's that she's been blamed. Yes. And I see that, like, I've been doing a lot of reading on racism in America and on the Me Too movement and on what, like, and you blame, and that's how no white American. That's how we justify, is because we blame. We then say, oh, well, but Eve was weak. But what is submissive? Submissive is to obey, to yield to someone else, right? So when you're submissive, you submit to somebody else's will, which literally you put your own desires lower. Why does scripture say women should be silent in church? Are some teachings about women feeding misogynistic views? What is submission and how does it relate to women as well as men? We'll explore these questions and more while getting real, immersed in truth. to the grit podcast getting real immersed in truth intersecting hard conversations with the gospel we seek and speak the truth about what's going on around us i'm your host Sabrina reddle today we're going to discuss a much debated hot topic in some christian circles the role of women in the church specifically a woman's call to preach i hear a lot of what the male perspective is so today i wanted to get a different perspective we're talking to three women who lead and preach in their congregations or in their ministry. I have a non-denominational, a Presbyterian, and a Methodist leader in their church. This will be a highly spirited conversation meant to expose different points of view. And whether you agree with what's said or how it's presented isn't the point. I'm allowing for a free and raw conversation in this area that may go against some teaching, including what I've been taught. Today, my guests are Reverend Dr. Melody jones Poynton, Chaplain Ashley Belmudez Franks, and Pastor Kirstie Ingle. Welcome all, and thank you for joining me in this discussion today. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you all. Well, let's start with each of you telling our listeners about yourself and briefly what led you to the calling to shepherd God's people. We're all going to figure out. I'm going to go first. Okay, Ashley. Chaplain Ashley. (laughs) Well, I'm Chaplain Ashley Belmudis Frakes. And, you know, I was probably very young. (laughs) I had gone from a Catholic church to a Lutheran church to non-denominational. And I never planned on being a chaplain or a reverend. And first off, I... I was led by a call when I got a call from the military to come back. And with that, I had prayed about it and I was like, no, this is good. So I asked them, hey, what's the, what's the first spot available, which is near my base, like the base I'm nearby. And they're like, well, are you sure? And I'm like, yes. They're like chaplain. So that's actually how I got started being in the, uh, for military stuff. But I've always been involved with the church 
I've got my family, four kids, my husband and I, and uh, that's kind of how I jumped in to getting into ministry, I guess I want to say. I don't even know if I even said all this right. That's okay. We'll roll with it. Okay. Well, hi, I'm Kirsty, and I would relate my call to like the woman at the well. I, I really feel like metaphorically, Jesus met me at the well in my 20s in the midst of brokenness. So there are no pastors in my family or anything like that. And I think that that is why I typically go by the title of spiritual leader, even though in 2022, I'll receive my doctorate in homiletics because I just find the Bible very fascinating. But I, I feel like I was called in the midst of extreme duress and brokenness. And I really do identify as being more spiritual, but not religious is how I've been evolving. And I, I kind of feel like because of the way I was called into the ministry, it lends me to be able to have like that raw, that raw ministry where I can literally meet people at their own metaphorical well. So that's mm. pretty much my story. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm Melody Jones Poynton and I, I was, I grew up in a Christian home and I have never not known the love of Jesus Christ in my life. My parents did a great job. I remember when my, I was a little girl and I asked my mom if she loved um, us more than she loved my dad. And she said, I love God more than anything. And that really kind of stuck with me. And I was raised in a PCUSA church and we went often so I'm a, what we call a cradle Presbyterian, but it was also a predominantly LDS community. And so I didn't really have any female leadership in the role of pastor. So I kind of didn't really think about or know that that was possible. And when I went to college, I went to a Presbyterian college and I felt the call to ministry, but really sort of used a lot of those excuses that we see in the Bible, like, you know, women shouldn't preach and, you know, all uh, women should be silent in church and all these other things. And I, I was even so smart at the time I brought in science, like people won't hear my voice as well. You know, like I don't have the right tone of voice and all these other like excuses. It was really just excuses to kind of hold off following and, and, and doing this. But after, after I graduated from college, I went to serve as a youth pastor at a church in the South. And while I was there one Sunday, the pastor got sick, like throw up, run to the bathroom sick. And I, at the time was not really allowed to participate in the services in any um, significant way because I was a woman and the youth pastor. But on that particular Sunday, they, they were very eager for me <laughs> to, to finish the sermon and to finish the service. And I did a horrible job. I was, I was a train wreck. It was a nightmare. But I remember at the end of it, I, I knew that I couldn't do anything else. Mm. There was nothing else that made sense in my life. So I started applying to seminaries and, and have served in the PCUSA. This is my third church. I was an associate pastor, a solo pastor, and, and now I'm serving as the, the senior pastor, head pastor at, at Eastridge Presbyterian Church. So, mm. And I love it. I love wow. it. Oh, Ashley, top of Ashley, yes. 
I feel like, wow, I should have went last. <laughs> I told you, I told you. But, no, you know, I want to add in there. I think as I grew up in the church, different churches, and I just really feel like I just wanted to help. I just wanted to be there. I just wanted to support because of my past and my experiences. Another chapter on that one. I just wanted to help. That was really, it, it was just having someone to be able to have someone guide them. That's really what I was I believe that's where my call was to be able to help somebody who has these gifts inside and not know how to bring them out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really where it started. But I, I ran from it for many years until mm-hmm. I got that phone call, like I said earlier. And and then that was kind of like the, that's it. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. Okay. <laughs> so that was it. So I just want to yeah. throw that icing on there. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. I That's funny. Cause that happens a lot in the Bible too. When the Lord as asking certain people in the Bible to do certain things and they run <laughs> like Jonah. I think in There's some others, ways, but... I think in some ways that's how you know if it's really a calling from God or if it's just something like certain certainly I would I would say from my perspective that to stand in the pulpit at all to to say that you're gonna preach the word of God, you have to have a fairly good size ego like you you have to have a a sense of yourself but even even more so I think to do it again and again it's got to come from something deeper and Mm -hmm. if you know I think the people who are like yeah I want to do that I think you could make it like a month you might even be able to make it like 10 years but it's just not self-serving in the end (laughs) like it doesn't Mm. you know it's it's not the sort of People don't applaud like they do on the Ellen show. Mm, <laughs> you know, right, like you're, right. It doesn't serve yourself. Is If you're serving God, then I think that you can make it longer. But mm-hmm. yes, Kersey. For me, the call is, it was irresistible. You know, the Holy Spirit is real. It's a gift. And for me, my bachelor's is in mechanical engineering. So I know it was definitely a force. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, moved me to this spot. It, it literally like God seemed to close every other door, mm. kind of like to box me in where I had no other choice but to move forward. And mm. ever since I said yes to God, it just seemed like it's been a red carpet experience. I'm not saying that I haven't had challenges, but, you know, it, it's just been a very fulfilling fulfilling time for me. Mm -hmm. I love how you put it that way, because for me saying I I was a runner, there just kept being so many chances, so many things, you know, about, you know, do this ministry or go here or this. And I was just like, eh, I'm going to get my bachelor's in biology, which is what I did. You know, I was like, no, I'm going to focus on genetics and I'm going to focus on, you know, and then it just kept coming up, you know, just even in college, ministering to a woman or even, you know, all these things coming or military stuff coming up, you know, it was just consistently, oh, you're such a great listener or wow, thank you so much. It just, the red carpet was a great way of saying that. It really feels like that when you say yes. He rolled out the carpet. Yeah, he rolled out just in limousine. (laughs) Go ahead and get out, baby girl. You know, I just, that's, that was so beautiful how you explained that. It's so true. It really is. It really is. Okay. Well, we know that there are many women in the Bible who are great leaders. Miriam, Moses' sister, was one. Uh, of course, Deborah in the book of Judges, Judges was a leader in the battle. And the prophet Huldah 
you know, she was sought out by the king's men for her wisdom and advice. And there are many other women who had a great impact on people in the Bible and the message of the gospel. Now, my experience with church, I wasn't saved until I was 30, I think 33, I think I was 33. And it is the only church home I had known. And that church was very conservative, very conservative ideologies. And in my experience or opinion, the teachings were embedded in, oh, well. Patriarchy. I would say, yes, patriarchy and misogynistic undertones. You know, there was this fragile pedestal that kind of put women on to be presented in, in such a way. And then there's the contradiction of, you know, women to, are to blame of a myriad of things. And <laughs> one that stood out to me the most that really bothered me is the men's inability to control themselves based on how a woman is dressed. That one really, I was, that just the stumbling block thing. Your shoulder is a stumbling block. <laughs> you know, the, that kind of stuff was kind of like, uh, you know, but I have since left that church and I'm, I'm still on a journey searching, but I, I have left the church, but I have not let, left God. And God has filled my need for community in other ways. Let me tell you, God is, he will meet you. If you, if you stay with him and I just, I just started to strip everything down to Jesus. I was like, you know what? It's just going to be me and you, Jesus, for a while. And he met me in a workout group that I, I joined and worked out every morning. They were Christians. And then when I started volunteering for, I've got a name, anti-sex trafficking organization, they were Christians. It was just like, he was just like, you know what, I, I got some other things for you right now. I'm gonna let you, you go through your deconstruction right now and just continue to sit with me and I will bring them to you. That, that's what I felt he was saying to me. Anyway, so I wanted to talk about how like Genesis 1, 27 tells us how God created both male and female in his likeness. So we are all created as our image, as an image bearer of him. And so, but there's still the struggle with where a woman belongs, a woman's place, so to speak. Okay, I, I, I forgot about this. Was, okay, so when Beth Moore, who does not call herself a preacher, she doesn't call herself a preacher, but she has stood on stage and preached with men present. And she got a lot of flack from, from that. And, you know, the I have this thing about and when you express yourself, so it was a male that expressed, basically said to, for her to go home, which I have a problem with that. Like, like women, you only, be, you only belong at home. I have an issue with that. And, but when you express yourself in an ungodly way, yet you are saying you are representing our king, it's kind of hard to hear you. <laughs> Understand what I'm saying? And so the way he presented himself to me was, it was ungodly to me. And I was, I was really proud of her because she said that whoever the Lord puts before me is who I will teach to. And as recently, she left the Southern Baptist um, Convention because of their misogynistic views, uh, so to speak. You know, they have they have a lot of s sexual abuse, and the 
primary thing that they were worried about is if a woman is preaching. And so, you know, that's a, that's an issue. And it makes me wonder if some of the teachings lead to misogynistic views of women. Although we are told we are, we are, we are both equal footing in the image of God, but sometimes I think the teaching leads to a misogynistic point of view of women. What do you all think about that? Well, the first thing I'll jump in that I think we need to unpack is realizing that the Bible, sorry, one second. The Bible was put together, first of all, it didn't just drop out of heaven as a complete book so that that's the first thing and so there when you go through like translations and everything else I think the the first role of us as women in particular since we're talking about women's issues is to discern uh, and this is what I'm preaching on Sunday what is humans activity in the bible and what is God's activity Mm. that's two different things happening that's Mm -hmm. the first thing And the second thing is I'm evolving and I think I'm evolving into an unapologetic womanist theologian. I'm sick of even subscribing to whoever they tell me women leaders are. So all those women that you just mentioned, I'm not saying they're not leaders, but how about Mary Magdalene was a leader to me. The woman with the issues of blood was a leader to me. I mean, we're preaching them stories. The woman getting ready to get stoned for adultery is a, is a leader to me. I mean, they are representing the social injustice or justice issues that we're wrestling with as women today. So I, I think how we first take our authority is realizing that, yes, the Bible is about human life and it is our goal to discern what part is the humanity and what part is God and it's a beautiful culmination it's it's a complex you know story but I think until we can name that confidently in our pulpits we're going to continue to be hindered by those problematic scriptures that would suggest that we need to be sat down somewhere and be silent And I think we also need to name those untold stories of the women because you know daggone well that there was a woman behind something in there, but the women weren't always named, you know? And so I just think it's important for us to really like deconstruct the story so that we can put it back together in a way where God is truly speaking, not because someone else regurgitated it to us, but it's time to use what I call the Wesleyan quadrilateral, our reason, our experience, our tradition, you know, that's what we need to be able to bring to the table. And until we could do that, we're going to continue to be handcuffed as women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think too, that the Bible was written over, over time by so many different voices for so many different purposes. And if you try to read it as a whole and follow it through and say like, well, this is how women were treated in the Bible. In what chapter, in what verse, in what community, for what purpose? Because Paul himself writes very different stories about what women should be doing. I mean, he's the one who says that women should be silent. In that passage, women are gossiping and being a distraction in church. And you know what? If there are women who are gossiping and being a distraction at my church, I hope that there are others who say, shh, 
I'm trying to worship, you know, like I hope, like, but, but hopefully they do that for anybody. It's yes. not just the women, you know, yes. like hopefully if there's any, if there's anybody, you know, we're coming together as a community, but then on the other hand, Paul turns around and commends to the church in Rome, his sister Phoebe, his sister in Christ, his um, benefactor, she's a benefactress of the church. And he even says partner in ministry. So clearly he's commending somebody in the same way that he commends his other traveling companions. He's commending her in my reading of that on the same level as, as the men in the group. So I think that there's, you know, to, to back up what Kirsty said, I think, you know, there's just so many different voices telling so many different stories for so many different audiences and purposes. And we just try to like lift it out and say, well, this is, this is what was good in, you know, first century <laughs> Rome. And so this is what's good for us now. I, I think, I think that's missing the power of the spirit and what God is doing now amongst us. Not to say that they're irrelevant, because I mean, I, I use them every week <laughs> for, for the subject of, you know, a, a sermon. So I, I definitely love scripture, but I just think it's misusing scripture to pull it out and say, well, women should be silent in church. Mm -hmm. Well, why did he say that? What was happening? So I also said women should cover their heads, but a lot of us don't cover our heads. So... Do you have something, Ashley, Chuck Ashley? I do, I do, because wow, I just love how this is all coming together because exactly with both what you guys said and I love how you brought Phoebe up because she was right there with him. And then even later on, Prisca and Aquila, oh my gosh, they were fellow workers in Jesus Christ that who risked their necks for his life. It says that right there in Romans 16, right? Mm -hmm. My big thing too is when we're talking about theology or any different things, you know, exegesis, what does the word say and what does it actually mean and how are we going to interpret it for what it means at that time and how can we apply it for today? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you said before that like 1 Timothy 2.11 usually gets thrown out there about, you know, a woman, you know, let her quietly with all submissive, do not permit a woman to teach or exercise. You know, that's one of the things I always have and I say always back then, because I have it now, <laughs> but back then that was one of the things where it's like, well, you know, uh, the scripture states, you're clearly violating being a woman and ministering. And I agree with both you ladies that we got, we, there's whatever that name is, whatever that, you know, you put your thumb on it of whatever title it is, that there's just something, if you're going off of Genesis he created man and woman, then why, why is there no equal? You know, what is this that causes people to say that a woman cannot do this? When yet the, the Bible pretty much says different places, different women helped out even men and men helped out women. I mean, there's so many different cases, but exegesis is one of my favorite things because you got to get deep down into it. You got to really get into it. And I feel like sometimes churches, the critical explanation of it, or interpretation of scripture gets really missed out. I really think that it gets kind of thrown out and only put to what they want to apply to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I open also, I'm sorry, to oh, go ahead. Uh, learning the authors. I think it's helpful to know yes. if, it, if it is debated, if Paul even wrote mm -hmm. some of those letters as well. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm talking about, humans activity and actually God's activity, because I do, Brina, I resonate with you looking towards Jesus, because for me, Jesus 
is the only element that I can really, really just put my all in and say, okay, I can receive this. I can, Mm -hmm. I can definitely receive this, but I'm not going to lie. And people may disagree with me, but there, there is, there's some human activity in the Bible that I just can't dismiss is just questioning, hmm, are we experiencing some nuances of this particular culture play out? Because there's nothing new under the sun. We're still seeing the same thing repeating itself. So when people are saying, Paul said, I just cringe on the inside anyway, because I'm like, are you are you really taking the time to really dive in or be taught or whatever the word for yourself? Because the fact that you're even saying Paul says is where I'm going to say, I'm going to just stop you right there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, as I had talked to y'all before we started recording about this Bible study that I had completed Jesus and women by Christy McClellan. And she talks about the Jesus from a mid Eastern perspective and that Bible study has really shifted my thinking. And uh, well, I also uh, told you all that I w- was also raised by a single mother and uh, she was a feminist <laughs> and she, she hustled, you know, she had to, she had four kids, she had to provide for. And so I think I always kind of had her in my mind, even though my, the teaching that I received was very conservative. I know what my mother went through and I know what she did to better the lives of her children. And so I, I can't dismiss the fact that she was a woman who was doing uh, what she could. She worked and worked and worked and she did that so that we could be better and that we could know better and we could do better. And so from looking at her as a model of what women are capable of, and then coming into the uh, Christian circle, and I agree that the, the women, the woman with the issue of blood, that's, that's my woman. <laughs> I really love her because it took a lot of courage and boldness for her to come out of her 12 years of bleeding, and she had to be basically ostracized because she was considered unclean. She wanted that healing so bad. She came out of that tent and she said, if I can just get the, the, the him, just touch a little bit of him. First of all, that's a lot of faith and that's a lot of boldness. And so I agree that is a form of leadership that she had that much faith in Jesus. There is one passage, not to monopolize, but you know, with the woman who was talking about even the the crumbs go to the dog, that that some scholars will say that that woman shifted the whole movement for making awareness of that the gospel was just not for the Jews, but mm-hmm. it was for everyone. Mm-hmm. So there, that's a leader. I mean, thinking about that interaction, she pushed back against Jesus and however you interpret it. I always think Jesus sometimes does things. He's Jesus is a walking parable to me. So I don't think that Jesus was intending to disrespect this woman because the disciples were around. I, I think he was kind of using her to teach an overall lesson. But also the last thing I'll share on this is who also was the first one to discover the empty tomb. Yeah. So I would say your first preacher 
yes. you know, would have been your Mary Magdalene. I mean, that is, is that not the whole resurrection in itself? The tomb is empty. <laughs> hello. hello. <laughs> you died, but he ain't there no more. <laughs> the woman will spread the word. It's open. <laughs> well, you know what? There's some people push back on that and they say, well, that's different. That's, that's given the gospel message. And in preaching, aren't you giving the gospel message? I want to know what the definition of preaching that they're using is, because what we say, one of the things we say in our tradition, in one of our statements of faith that was written in 1983 is in word and deed, like mm. we, like we profess in word and deed. So in a certain sense, every, everybody is a preacher because everybody should be sharing the story of God and Jesus Christ. Like everybody, everybody has a, a, a message of love of God that they should be sharing in word and in deed. And that's why I think even um, in looking at some of the texts, it's like, well, one of the, one of the things I want to look at is what did they say, but then also what did they do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. how did they really treat women and how did they really treat children and how really did they treat their neighbor? Because it's, I think then it, it's a lot less clear and also, what, what about all the stories that are just left out? You know, like the, mm-hmm. the names we don't know. And th- like, that's not a new, this is not a new. Yeah, Melody also, because like with the well, why did he tell, why did Jesus then tell her, go oh, tell it? Right. right. Now, if that ain't preaching, I think to be in homiletics, you got to open your mouth. So why is he telling her to go tell it? How come he didn't? pull some dude on the side that might have been observing tell him to go tell what he observed yeah his disciples they were they were watching him wondering why he over the top of that woman (laughs) you know yeah he he did something that they didn't do first of all he was a jewish he was a samaritan yeah (laughs) and then she was a woman and they did not speak to the women out in the open in that way and he did and his disciples saw. And so, yeah, he didn't say, hey, go tell them to his disciples. Go, go tell, you know, what I was saying to this woman. That's what I said to her. Go tell them. And then the thing is that the people believed her. They believed her. And they wanted to follow him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that with, Rabrina, when you brought up about the Eastern culture type of thing, Mm-hmm. that women had better religious opportunities and less bureaucratic institutions, you know, different religious, like regional sec- what sanctuaries or whatever. They, they didn't constrain women's potential to practice the religious, whatever it was they needed to do. Like, for example, Hannah depicted in the Bible was not going to silo to engage in a complex rituals to ask God for a child, but invited to join in on the sacrificial meal of Sukkot with the other women of her household at Silo. So, I mean, more more or less, Hannah was likely involved in the sacrificial offerings, but that preceded the meal. But but just like Chrissy said, that the homiletics part of it, the woman at the well, it's, he, and I agree with you about Jesus and the parables, and it's just teaching, and then just kind of like analogies. He's all about analogies. But Jesus is like walking, you know, <laughs> he's he's doing this, but he's showing them how to do, because he knew what was going to happen, you know? And so that's what we do as women. And I agree that we kind of like opening up the door. Hey, he's, a, he's, he's alive. You know, it's because we're, and this could be something that may come back on me, but we're more open to 
present what we believe and see in. Just like I was saying with Hannah, we 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 just want to have that family culture that that drive of bringing in truth. You know, there's just something about being a woman to be able to present the truth of something, and and that's that's where we're getting at. You know, what is that that men don't allow women to tell the truth in a way? I don't I don't know what that. I'm going back on what you said, you know, past angle. I'm just saying like, what is that thing that we just can't, even in our culture today, regardless of religion or faith or black, white, yellow, purple, pink, whatever. It's like, what is that, which we already know that's an attack from the enemy. So as ministers of God and ministers of who've been called to do something, how do we then present ourselves to do the follow through and what God's called us to do? to be like Jesus, right? And to be able to teach those that are around us. If you think about it though, we need to start telling the women's story differently because every woman in the Bible, for the most part, they had a lot of spunk. They had a lot of strength. They had a lot of tenacity. There's a lot of strength coming from the women that I don't know. I mean, they, they challenged, they, they, kept going until they got to some element of truth. There was a lot of strong women who would not give up until their child was healed. I mean, I think we need to start telling these stories differently. We have to start telling them differently because if you really peel back and think about the men in leadership and the women in leadership, I hate to say it, but the women, you know, we're, we're going, we're like warriors. We're going through a lot. We're going through discrimination. We're going through gossip. We're going through getting ready to get stoned to death, but yet there's still a powerful message. So women are strong. And I think it's just time that we start to tell these stories in a different manner. And we need to also start bringing some kind of level of suspicion to some of the way these stories are portrayed. I, I like even with the alabaster box, I mean, come on now. She was like, I am using this perfume and I am going to worship Jesus. And I don't care if you're looking <laughs> sideways and I don't care what's getting ready to happen. I'm getting my blessing that's today. Right. right. And that's the way right. we need to start telling these stories. Yeah. She was pretty bold and, and she knew she was going to be judged. And what did Jesus do? He elevated her above all of the other men of the law or the, the ones who, who knew the law, who studied, he elevated her and said, what she has is best because she was willing to sit at his feet no matter what. I'm yeah, gonna so, jump on, I'm gonna, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Melody. I was just gonna say like, so, that, so there it is. There's the lesson for today, especially in this week. <laughs> Like, especially in this week, especially in 20. There it is. Drop the mic. There it is. That, Done. That, we, that we need to elevate each other's stories because I, I really think like when I, when I left my position as an associate pastor and I moved to a different culture, I moved to the South and there was an article, I was going from the North to the South. And there was an article in the newspaper and they said I had broken through the stained glass ceiling. Well, you know what? That was my goal. Like I, I, I was like, I am going to break through that stained glass ceiling. And that gave me the, the strength to push through and to say, no, I, you will hear my voice. Mm. I, I, I am speaking, mm-hmm. listen, you know? Mm. And I think that we don't, even in, in this week, what are, what are those voices that are silenced? Mm. How can we attend to them? How mm-hmm. can we lift them up? How can we say you are speaking 
and I am listening. And I think that's what's behind the Me Too movement. And I think that's behind what happened this week in Atlanta. Voices that we that have been long silenced, that we as um, women understand what that's like, we need to be listening and elevating those voices. Well, one thing I want to say is we're recording this after the shooting in Atlanta and eight people were uh, murdered. And so we are recording this around that time. We are lamenting with our Asian uh, brothers and sisters, Asian community. We are lamenting with them at this uh, horrific event. And the majority of the uh, people who were murdered were women. And yeah, so I, I appreciate you saying, yes, what voices are being silenced and that we need to stand in solidarity and then also uplift those voices so they can be heard. Phew, friends, there's a lot going on in this conversation so far. We'll end part one here and finish this interesting yet somewhat controversial conversation next time on part two of Women in the Pulpit. Hey, here's a new thing I'm doing on my podcast. It's a Black-owned business shout-out. And today I'm featuring Kid Crazed Creations, created by home baker Jamiqua Tomlinson. Jamiqua says she built the business out of love for her crazy kids while baking all the birthday cakes and discovering the gift of time together. Jamiqua wants to leave this legacy of fun, baking, and business for her kids. Check her out on Facebook, at facebook.com kidcraze.creations. That's spelled K-I-D-D-K-R-A-Z-E-D-K-R-E-A-T-I-O-N. And this is not a paid promotion. It's a way to support the community. Don't forget to subscribe and connect with me on Instagram at Rabrina Rettle. And the podcast is produced by me, Rabrina, and original music by composer Michael Coffey of Handcrafted Studios. Also, I have another podcast on Salem Media. Why don't you check it out? It's called Mama Take Heart, Understanding Your Gen Z Girl. I help you be the influential, gospel-centered, compassionate voice in your girl's life. Let me know what you think about it. All right. Well, we're going to sign off today. And until next time, keep your grit up by getting real while immersed in truth.